Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Steffenhagen. I'm Steph Spencer. And I'm Lisa Adams. We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious, doubters, and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions, questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt, questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Hey everyone, Jason, Steph, and Lisa here for Searching the Sacred. This is a brand new season, and we are recording this as we prepare for the Lenten journey, and these episodes will drop during Lent. And so while many of you may be in spiritual practices of fasting or prayer or service, we thought we'd throw a little bit of a curveball or maybe just a wrench or kick the tires of heresy or whatever we tend to do here at Searching the Sacred because we thought it would be fun to look at the story of Jesus, but from an angle that may not be the most common. So we want to look at passages where Jesus is actually spicing things up. We want to look at passages where Jesus is using language that may be off-putting to some people, might be insulting, might be mean even, depending on how you are hearing it or receiving it. And part of the reason why we're doing this is we wanted to explore kind of how did Jesus get to the cross and could some of these passages be indicators of the direction that things are headed? And so while we do this, we are wanting to hold a few things in mind. One is that we always want to wrestle with the human and the divine that is caught up in Jesus. We want to sit in that tension, recognizing that Jesus is fully human and recognizing that Jesus is the divine. And so how do we sit in that tension? How do we wrestle with that? And the second thing is that we kind of want to poke at this kind of little baby Jesus, this innocent, perfect uh, lovely, never says a harsh thing, never has a mean thing to say kind of version of Jesus, like a sterilized version of Jesus that we often see in, you know, Sunday school rooms with Jesus holding a baby lamb covered in a blue shawl with flowing blow dried hair. We kind of want to say like, maybe that's not exactly who Jesus was all the time. And what can we learn from a full picture of who Jesus is? So that's where we're at. And we're going to start by looking at the Sermon on the on the Mount, which is the seminal kind of what is the big overarching message of Jesus. And in chapter seven, at the beginning of it, he's got some spicy things to say. So I'm going to turn it over to Lisa with Matthew chapter seven. Okay, we're going to read verses one to six out of the New King James Version. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and, and tear you in pieces. Okay. Not such sweet words here. <laughs> um, I don't even know where to start with our questions on this passage. Although I, I think I want to start with it is it is fascinating to me that a verse six, five and six have such strong language when it starts with words like judge not lest you be judged. Um, because it certainly feels to me like Jesus is judging in the mm. same like. In the same breath, he's saying, don't judge. He's saying some words that could sound pretty judgmental. Okay, well, let's pause there. Does he say not to judge? Because I okay. think this is a common misconception that I, at least I've, I used to hear it. Jesus says, don't judge. But I, I, I actually don't know if that's what it's being said. Okay, well, what do you hear in what's being said, Jason? I hear, don't judge if you don't want to be judged yourself. Like, if you don't want judgment, then stop lobbying it around on everyone else. Because if you're going to judge people, the same judgment is going to come back to you. So, yeah. So one way of interpreting that could be don't judge anyone. Or it could be if you're going to be judging people, expect the same in return, which actually sounds to me like healthy accountability. Hmm. Right, because verse two says, for what you judge with, you will be judged. And with a measure, what you measure out will be measured back. And so if he is, if, if Jesus is saying, so then what we could look at as the start of these like harsh words of Jesus is, is he giving us permission to call him out? Like if he's calling people hypocrites and he's saying you are allowed to judge others with the way that you are judged, would we ever have the permission to wonder if Jesus was being hypocritical? Is he offering us that? I, I think he's saying, like, I, I, at some level, like, try me. Like, am I being a hypocrite? Am I being a dog? Am I acting like swine? Am I trampling on people's good stuff? Like, you know, I think the answer to that is pretty clear, that we would probably say, no, Jesus, you're not a hypocrite. Thank you for pointing out the speck in our eye, right? But I don't think Jesus hesitates to, like, name it here. It makes me think about, <clears throat> so the word that we're talking about, and the, the judge. Um, I think there's one thing I think about when I think about judging, but then there are some implications though of like um, punishment condemning Yes. alongside of that, which then makes me think about like our legal system, which I don't know if anybody has watched um, most recently it dropped on Netflix. It's called American nightmare. Mm -mm. Um, it is, it, it, it's a good conversation piece for, for folks to talk about. Um, and it's essentially it it's essentially people who um have an interaction with the justice system that is that like they're innocent and they face like this ramification. Mm. And it makes me think about how we like to like we like the idea of judgment and punishment. Like and we have lots of opinions of how it should be done and what should be should happen with it. And we often don't think about the fact that it comes that that it can be the same thing that happens to us because mm. we kind of think, well, well, that's not me. I got the, I don't do that kind of stuff. That's not how it's going to happen. That's not how that's going to work. And I, it's kind of interesting to think about <laughs> Jesus. Like it is a th when we are willing to like roll the dice on people, and we're willing to like punish, or we're willing to say like no, like 
we know that there are innocent people who are incarcerated and yet we haven't that's, there's not really a fix or a solution i don't know it's just very interesting to kind of like wade into the idea like we can sometimes pass over this thing because it feels like we're always on the right side mm-hmm. and it only works until then suddenly when you're faced with this idea that maybe you're on the other side of things or it's not yeah. working for you the way that you want it to work for you which mm-hmm. who's jesus talking to here like <laughs> a crowd this is a crowd of like could be a little bit of everybody i'd be curious if like everybody's like yeah or if there's like people who are like what if they're irritated off the bat or a little bit of a mixture of both right there's probably yeah. I, mean, I think i think the the audience is like people from the Decapolis. So it's like these 10 towns that are kind of all around and they have people that are from different backgrounds and different kind of circumstances. And so you might have people where the systems are working in their favor and they might be thinking, you know, okay, sure. And then you might have others that are like, wait, if I can't critique something, then I don't, you know, like they might, they might be hesitating or, um, or whatnot. I mean, cause I like the idea of, accountability being mutual. And I think that's what's getting that this passage is getting after that if you're going to have accountability, it needs to be mutual accountability. The problem that I have with our justice system is that there doesn't seem to be any part of that system where there's any mutuality for when the system is just going to town on someone and every mechanism is working against somebody. You know, and there's like you said there's story after story I mean, even the way that people can afford a lawyer versus not afford a lawyer and, you know, they take a plea deal even for something that they didn't do or they take it for a higher charge than they needed to if they just had a good lawyer that knew what they were doing. Now, suddenly they have a criminal record that affects the rest of their life. You know, it affects every interaction they have with the police after that. And, you know, somebody else that has a good lawyer gets it wiped off and now they don't have that. You know, like there's so many little parts of the system and big parts that don't have that mutuality built into them. Well, and we kind of see it like play over and over again, even when it comes to power. Yes. How you behave when you have power. Yes. Versus how you behave when you don't have power. And it doesn't seem to line up like the, the, this, this space of like, we assume, I don't know, like, it seems like it should be a light conversation about like judging others. lest you're going to get judged. But it's actually like this really, it feels like this really big piece of, like, this is a big deal. Because <laughs> how you do how you do this and what you do actually sp- says a lot about who you are and what you believe. I think that that is the key to this passage, is the, the idea of, like, how we talk about power. Um, I I taught on this passage once a really long time ago at a school down in Tennessee, and we did a little uh, role play or like a little skit before the sermon. And we had a whole group of students sit in a circle and it was like looking like a little Bible study was happening. And they started a conversation about, hey, we wanted to start by talking about all the specs that we have in our eyes and how we can like help each other and do something about them. And then this person walked into the room and they literally had a foam looking two by four sticking out of their eye. Like we, we like attached it to their forehead and then they walked in. They're like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, we're talking about the specs that people have and just how 
We need to do something about them. And then the person was like, oh, you guys are awful. Like I can see all of your specs and it's just grossing me out. You guys are so ridiculous. You need to do something about these. And they're like, well, what about you? And they're like, I got nothing to hide. Like I, there's nothing wrong with me. You're the ones with the problem. And it was just this obvious power grab and this imbalance when it was so clear who the person was that really needed their their neighbor, their brother, their sister to help them. Right. I think that's part of what's going on here is we're asserting power when we're the ones that, you know, need the most accountability, the most help. Well, and isn't like the story across the whole text, the way that brothers should have similar power and we're always navigating a brother vying for a power or position like that story of sibling Mm. means that we should be talking about peer to peer. With a like a familial bond, and what we actually end up talking about is that how that power structure changes that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's interesting mean, because like what Jesus uses is the language of sibling. Yeah, I was, Which I was the kind of thinking, and it, I don't. It might be a different direction, but maybe it's the same because um, it. I think power affects this. What I'm thinking about is how we see, um, because because he's because the metaphor he's using is about eyes. Mm-hmm. So he could say like he could use anything here. He could say like, "Oh, take the burden off your back before you talk about the burden on someone else's back." Like he's choosing mm-hmm. eye as the body part. Yeah. Um, and so I'm thinking about like what happens to us when we have something big in our own eye. Mm. How and and how does that affect our ability to judge well if we can't see well? Hmm. And and then how does that affect then like what it is to be a hypocrite and what it is to see the dogs and the pearls and the swine and all of that with clear eyes? Um, because what we are aiming to do then is see better. I don't know what my question is with that. I'm just thinking about what it is to see well and how that's connected to how we judge and how we use power both. Like that whole conversation you guys were having about power, like how does how we see affect those things? Well, and to see a speck in a brother's eye means you have to be pretty close. Mm -hmm. So I'm using my energy to examine your eyes instead of to examine my own eyes. I want to change how you see more than I want to change how I see. Mm-hmm. And what is that doing in us if we are trying so hard to change how someone else sees without examining our own perspective? Well, welcome to politics 2024. <laughs> I mean, totally, but it's almost like, I mean, I like this. I, I like that Lisa took us to the system level because it's almost like the log is like a system and it's so big and pervasive that we can't even recognize that it's affecting everything. Like it's so massively influential that we just, yeah, it's just there. But yeah, yeah we don't like if, notice we, it. if we paused for a second and asked ourselves, like what, what is the most influential thing right now for how we see? Like for how I see. Any of it. Like what is the most influential thing 
for how I see the world mm-hmm. and my neighbor. And how does it get in the way of seeing clearly? Mm. Because there's something about this that is in the way. Like if it's a beam, there's things in, that get in the way of us seeing clearly. Um, even if they could be neutral, or maybe they're negative, but there, there's what what gets in the way. Yeah. And I do think that it's a great. There were were things that get in the way. We're probably blind to the way they get in the way. That's why we're so convinced that our brother Speck is the problem. Um, I'm often blind to the way that my privilege as a cis white female affects how I see. That can be a plank in my eye as I call out the specs somewhere. Um, my cultural upbringing from being in the Midwest can be a plank that I don't see as I call out the spec someplace else. My religious background. Well, and it's interesting too, because it's not like you have a plank in your eye and you're calling out the burden that somebody's carrying. We're talking about something similar. So we're seeing, we're seeing a speck and I have a plank. Well, those are like, they're both affecting eyes. So that it's, it's, you know how when you like get a new car and you go drive on the freeway and you, you start seeing your car everywhere, even though you never saw that car like that much before. It's I, I wonder like we're talking about things that are related that you end up seeing it more. And so even if like the thing in your eye is so pervasive and so big that you kind of just take it for granted, but because it's so ingrained in you, you see the little versions of it everywhere. You know, um and you and you think that it's your duty to call them out. Well, I think that's where Lisa's comparison to politics is is so good in that one to say, yeah. okay, how do we, whatever political lens we are entrenched in, most of us are entrenched in something, how does that affect how we see and and in a way that we look at the other party and we look at what how they're seeing and we're like, it is wrong that you're so entrenched with your party because it's affecting how you see. <laughs> right. But we're not willing to see how we're entrenched with our own party and how that's affecting how we see. Like right. no matter what party you're a part of, that's a part of politics. Right. What we're entrenched in something that affects how we see and we're annoyed that the other group is entrenched in something that's affecting how they see. Yeah. But we think we're right. Right. So we double down on our judgment instead of, and we don't receive back. Oh, am I, am I actually seeing as clearly as I think I'm seeing? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, it feels like we have to continue to maintain some humility in trying to make ways forward with folks when we see things differently. Right. When we disagree with how things can get done. And I, it is a space of, it feels like it's both it's hard to know because like the weight of things um like for some people this is we are talking about life and death issues mm-hmm. and so where we position ourselves in the conversation feels like it'll it's a different um like if we're talking about immigration most of us who are having the conversation are are not immigrants or we are so far removed from the time when we did, well, we all are, whatever. Mm -hmm. We're so far removed from 
being it. Like we don't, it's not who we are. So like, it feels like there's like these things that feel like the right things to like have conversations about. So like how to do that in a way that's not like, can you do that stuff with humility? Like, how do you do that? Well, like, how well, do you I say, w- like, that is some bad bogus thing that we're trying to do here. We can't like, that doesn't. I think this is where the verse actually, I think this is where the verse actually helps us because so often we, I think we, we, people have read verse one and verse two and verse three, where it's like these real strong focus on don't judge or you'll be judged the same measure and all that. And then like the whole plank in your eye speck in the other, but then it, it ends in verse five with, you know, first take out the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Like Jesus isn't unclear removing the speck from someone's eye is potentially the right thing to do, but it takes getting the log out of the way first. That's the hard work, right? That's the hypocritical work that we're not willing to do. Like I would rather remove your speck than remove my plank. Okay. Well, if I'm going to get close enough to actually get the tweezers out and get that speck out, I probably should remove the two by four. That's blocking me from getting close enough to you. Right. Mm -hmm. That takes vulnerability. It takes a willingness to point out our own flaws. I mean, if you've got a plank in your eye that's actually a hindrance, you have to be able to own that and say, hey, I'm coming at this conversation with a ton of bias. I'm coming at this conversation from a place of privilege. I'm coming at this conversation with really no knowledge of what I'm talking about because I've never been in someone's shoes that I'm advocating for. Like, I'm trying my best and it's probably going to fail. However, I think it's important to show up to this conversation. And so how can we remove as much of those planks as possible so that we can enter into the conversation with humility, trusting that the vitriol and the sometimes hate or the anger or the frustration that the other person's exhibiting is a problem, right? Like I have conversations with people that I love that get really negative really fast and get angry really fast. And that's a problem that shouldn't be there. We're like, siblings, right? We're family. We're we're good friends. And that tension is a problem. But the conversation is important. How can we get it to a place where we're actually doing it mutually? Well, and I think that then part of what's being called out is have a conversation about the right things. Mm-hmm. Like like if I'm focused first on what's wrong with them, And we're not actually talking about the thing that's bringing us together. Mm. Um, And so what you do, what you were just demonstrating is like, this helps us move in constructive directions with the people around us. If we start with this, what's getting in my way of seeing clearly. And now let me move towards you Mm -hmm. so that I can get close enough to you. So we can talk about the things that matters. And in that conversation, maybe I do get the chance to be a part of taking a speck out of your eye, but I, but I'm focused more on the moving towards than I'm focused on what's wrong with you. Right. And so that shifts the energy of, of that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And Jesus calls us a hypocrite if we're not willing to do that. And so that's, this is, as we're thinking about these hard words of Jesus, hypocrites in this passage of like, if we're not willing to take out what gets in our way of seeing clearly. And and if we're looking and judging someone else without doing that, we are being hypocrites. So we got, we got to be willing to receive that word. And then he talks about dogs and pigs, like takes it further. 
And so I'm curious first, like how we also have to do that work of verse five before we can hear verse six clearly. Like if we can't even, if we can't do that, like if we can't take the plank out of our own eye, we're not going to be able to understand what he's talking about in verse six. We've got to be willing to see ourselves as hypocrites, do that work of humility, and then listen to what he has to say in verse six. Although I still don't know exactly what he's saying in verse six. So I think I've got some work to do on my plank. (laughs) even as I name that as a possibility. Um, so I'm just going to read verse six again for, cause I, I want to give us good time to wrestle with these words that he's has. So this is, this is actual King James. Um, so give not to that, which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. What does that have to do with planks and specks and seeing and judgment? Lisa? (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful podcasting right there. You know, just letting you have that one. Just toss it to somebody else. Yep. yep. What do you, what do you think? (laughs) What do you think? What, what sparks for you in that? You've, you've learned my tricks, Jason. When I ask questions, I often don't have, I'm like, oh, what do you, what do you see? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I need more time to think about it. So Lisa. Well, what stands out to me in the passage? <laughs> Here we go. Because <laughs> suddenly it's, now we have a conversation about holy, which holy has not been a part of the conversation mm-hmm. until right now. Like suddenly we are talking about, do not give what is holy. And so then, um, and the assumption is, is that like, it kind of feels like then you'll see clearly, like there is something about like, you've got to be able to see clearly. And then we have to be able to discern what is holy. But Mm. there's a giving and a casting. There's different language of how we're doing, like what our actions are. So like it's don't don't give what's holy to the dogs, and don't cast your pearls before swine. What I'm thinking okay. of, I mean, it does feel like Jesus is then comparing humans to dogs and pigs. Like as we think about spicy language, because if we're not supposed, to, I don't think this is literal. <laughs> Um, so then it's saying if the, something, if you're seeing something as holy, if you're seeing something as a pearl, don't cast it before people who will trample it, turn against you, mm-hmm. eat it the way a dog or a pig would do that. So I do want to like, we got to then own that Jesus is calling people dogs and pigs in this metaphor. Mm-hmm. But Lee says, you name, you have to then be able to see what is holy. Once we see what is holy, what do we do with it? Feels like some of the question of verse six. Do we waste it by throwing it in front of humans who are going to respond to it the way dogs respond to something that's thrown in front of them? So I'm thinking about my dog. I don't have experience with pigs, but I have experience with a dog. Where like um, if I'm cooking in the kitchen and I drop something on the floor, my dog eats it before pausing to 
know for sure that it's food. Because she has enough experience with me dropping something in the kitchen that it's usually delicious. So she will run and she will eat it because it's that's what dogs do with the potential. I've actually heard this if, as a trick. If you can't get your dog to like take um, a, a medicine, just to put it to put it in something like to be chopping something and to put it with the thing you're chopping and drop it on the floor. And that they will eat your medicine because they're that's what they do when something falls in front of them. So I'm thinking like, what are how are we treating what's holy if we just drop it for a dog to pick it up without thinking about is that person going to treat it the way a dog would treat this? Hmm. Is this person going to treat it the way a human a, a pig would treat it? Do pigs and anyone know anything about pigs? How pigs are similar or different to dogs? Well, pigs eat anything. Literally anything, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. Pig slop, right? It's just the the mush of remains. From the movie Snatch, I know that the easiest way and the best way to get rid of a body is to give it to a, a group of pigs because they'll eat everything. Um, so in case you ever need to get rid of a body, if you're part of the mob, take that for what it's worth from the movie Snatch with Brad Pitt. Um can't really recommend it there's a lot of language in that movie for all the young ears out there um but here's the takeaway (laughs) here's the takeaway ready so okay here's here here's how i'm framing this if we do this work of removing the plank from our eye because we want to enter into a mutual relationship where we can help one another by removing the specs and like doing good accountability work, even with someone different from us. We're going to enter in and try to have the same measure that's given to us be received. We want this fair and equal thing. We want there to be mutuality. If, if that's what I'm heading towards, and I have the clarity to do that because I've I've removed my all the junk that's gotten in my way and clouded my vision. As if I, you know, and and there's a question here, is that really possible, right? But if I can do that, if I can be honest about it, even if I'm just honest about all the planks in my eye and I'm trying my best to get rid of them, the other person may not be healthy enough for me to enter into that relationship where it's not just going to go sideways. It's just not going to get consumed. It's not just going to get trampled on. The kindness, the the generosity, the the humility that I'm going to enter into this relationship with just might get eaten alive. Like, you know, and when we're talking about that, that idea of being holy, that's like being set apart, not better than, not higher than, not more authoritative than, that's not set apart. Set apart is just distinguishable. It's different. Like I am entering in from a posture that is going to be, you know, distinguishable from other versions of of being human. If that's the way I'm entering into this, being a set apart person, is that just going to get consumed by you? Seen as weakness, maybe not seen as humility, just seen as like, you know, oh, there's that do-gooder over there. Like, we don't need to listen to that person. Like, so if that's the type of situation I'm entering into, I may need to keep some distance. I may need to just like say, you know, I'm going to do the St. Francis thing and like share the gospel through my actions. And then I'll use words when they're necessary, but I'm not about to just, you know, throw all my effort into this when that person's just clearly not ready for, for this dialogue. Because they don't want to dialogue. They want to fight. And I'm not here to fight. I'm here to have a conversation. It is interesting because like on Pearl, and if I look it up in the Greek, like it is a pearl, but it also is a proverb or a word of great value. 
Ooh. It does kind of make you think about the idea of if, if in the order of things of like seeing clearly, understanding what's holy, and then deciding maybe who to, who to speak things towards or what to speak. I, I don't know. It's interesting to kind of like, um, if, if pearls is about words of wisdom, I do feel like sometimes it is those, it is verbal altercations that absolutely can tear you into pieces. Like we have that language of like how harsh words can be. Yeah. And I don't know that that's where this is going. I just, I'm kind of thinking about it. Well, I think that becomes a, a part of how we hear Jesus, though, I'm going to take what you just said. I don't know if, where this is going. I'm going to take that. I'm going to cling on to that right now to say, um, what if, what if we open up Jesus's words to allow them to go to multiple places? The same way we do, like we do midrash here on searching the sacred. We talk about how there's all these lenses through which we can view the Bible. What if we also do that with the New Testament and say, Jesus, if Jesus spoke these words, Matthew might want us to interpret these words in one particular way because Matthew has an audience. Matthew is a pastor of a group of people that he wants to frame Jesus's words in a particular way for that group of people. And maybe we also allow ourselves to expand that to our group of people. Mm. That doesn't mean Jesus's words mean anything, but it does mean they might mean more than we've thought they've meant before. If we if we just do that work of, oh, if I think about a pearl as being not just a pearl physically, but a word of wisdom that says something to me, mm-hmm. what if it's okay to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, what if we don't have to be afraid of doing that? Because sometimes we get afraid to like play with Jesus's words. Um, we get afraid of our interpretation of them. But what if what if when he's speaking to a crowd, that's even a part of his intention? Because to a crowd, Jesus wants people to be able to talk about things on their way home from hearing him speak. Mm-hmm. You want, and he I I that's part of the purpose of parables, too. Parables are always spoken to a crowd. So this idea that, like, what if Jesus is speaking in these kinds of words so that different people in the audience cling on to different things? And then they get to have a conversation on the way home about how they interpreted it. So if Lisa and I are walking next to each other, Lisa gets to say, gosh, when I think about pearls, I think about these words of wisdom and what it is to like share them with the wrong people who might eat me up in in an altercation. And then somebody else next to you gets to say, oh, I was thinking about pearls quite literally. Pearls are really valuable in the in the Greco-Roman world. And I was thinking about who wastes what is valuable to me, who's oppressing me by Mm. eating, by eating up my resources. Um, and we get to then hold both of those meanings as we walk home and talk about casting pearls before swine. And, mm-hmm. and what if that's okay? And maybe even intentional on Jesus's part. Yeah. And on Matthew's part, because Matthew's, and on Matthew's part. part, he's the only gospel writer who talks about pearls. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's why you guys are the directors of 40 orchards. That was brilliant. <laughs> why? Cause that was brilliant stuff. Both of you. Wow. <laughs> Um, okay, well, here's here's I want to I want to I want to make it a little spicy again to say okay when we talk about the word holy, and we're ta- thinking about a crowd. Most of the people in that crowd, though they're though they're going to be with you, Jason, and thinking about holy as set apart, they're probably going to have something in particular that they are picturing when they think of holy, the same way that people today would. So if we said 
we like did a man on the street interview today and asked people what is holy, what would people probably say? Perfect. Things found in a church. Okay. Yes. I would say like both of those things in the spectrum is like it's this idea of holier than now and that perfectionism and a lot of where that comes from in our understanding of the word holy is from church. Like holy is about church and sacred and like that thing. Probably in first century um, Israel, people are going to picture the temple um, because it's that and they're going to picture Jerusalem. If something is holy, it's Jerusalem and it's the temple. It's a set apart place. Um, and that's even a part of the purification laws when you go to the temple is to hold it as a set apart place. So in particular, in the eyes of the audience, what is holy is going to probably be the temple in Jerusalem. In that case, it, what is Jesus, who is Jesus comparing to dogs and pigs? Potentially. Do not cast what is holy before swine. So if holy is the temple, then the people there are the dogs. Okay. So there's potentially potentially one of the ways we could also talk about this on the way home from hearing Jesus talk is, is Jesus comparing the religious leaders of that day to swine and dogs and that we're supposed to bring these set apart things to a holy place, but the people running that holy place are dogs. We're supposed yeah. to be bring our things of value to religious leaders who are treating them like swine, maybe we needed something new. But initially, it, it wasn't a. I mean, if I go back to the like the building of the tabernacle, it wasn't initially necessarily like things of value. The idea wasn't to like make it so valuable. It was to take the things that like it. They did have value, but a lot of it was like taking the things as they left Egypt this is what they had an abundance of were these, these items that were taken out of Egypt and, and use those items. And there's, so there should be like in the things that are holy, if we're liking it to that thing, there should be space for things that are like valuable, but like also valuable because of like the memory that they hold or the memory that they want it to hold. Like um, it's more than just, like sometimes I feel like when I talk about like pearls or gold or that kind of thing, it becomes about like this monetary value, but there's something about it having like this intrinsic, this value that maybe you can't even like put, um, you know, like if you have an heirloom, it mm -hmm. may not actually be worth a lot of money, but it's, you know, if like five generations have been baptized in the same gown. Hmm. Well, that's a pretty, that's a special, that's a very special item mm -hmm. treated differently, care for it differently. You understand how like tender that material is. Um, and so like in, like what things of value or I don't even know if it's things, maybe people too. And I don't know how to encompass like this. <laughs> Well, what like how I, much I, can I be think, holy? Like how I, much can be holy? I'm thinking. I, I think we're we're not all that far apart in what we're saying, Lisa. Because what I'm thinking about is like, can is is there an invitation here to have discernment about whether our religious leaders are treating our things of value with the value we see them as? Like, so if I'm a if I'm a person coming to the temple with my offering, 
that's supposed to be a part of a holiness thing, not because of the sheep itself, but because of what the sheep represents. But the priest who is receiving that offering is only seeing the sheep in terms of a monetary value. Is that me taking something holy and bringing it to a dog? Um, because there is, is what is going on there in terms of what it's supposed to be like as compared to what it is like. And I love what you're, I love how you're bringing it to the tabernacle. Cause if we are ever doing things to critique the religious system of Jesus's day with like in Jesus words, I want to be really careful to say the system itself is not wrong or bad. It was set up to be good. We mm-hmm. don't have to make it look bad. This Amy Jill Levine um, said something that I want to repeat to everybody. She's a, she's a Jewish New Testament scholar. And she said, you guys, you don't have to make the Jews look bad to make Jesus look good. Mm. Jesus looks good on his own. So I want to be careful when we're doing this sort of commentary to say the temple itself is not bad. The tabernacle itself is not bad. And Jesus seems to be critiquing some ways that it's being done, some ways it's being held that aren't in line with the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. could that be a part of what he's doing here, that he is, there's something going on where holiness isn't being held the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And can you see that? And as a part of whatever that judging, not judging thing is, is how is that a part of something going wrong with the holiness system mm-hmm. at the time Jesus is there? Yeah, I think that's really an important thing to point out because we we need certain systems. We can't be system free because then we don't have functioning communal life. Like we don't have running water and we don't have, you know, heat and we don't have food systems. We don't have grocery store. I mean, we just don't have a lot of things if there are no systems in the world. There's no marketplace. There's there's no, you know, like even from a safety standpoint, like, you know, the, the, it, there are it is necessary to have some systems in place even just to help people like mental health systems like you know and not all of those are perfect of course like there's no perfect system and systems need to be reformed and sometimes they need to be thrown out and started over but like systems are a part of the world the question is how are they functioning and what do we need to do to help them actually work for people or are we are we entering into a system thinking that it's going to work one way when actually it's currently being run by dogs and pigs that are just there to profit off of it or benefit from it. Um, even some that don't even know that that's happening, right. Or they don't, they don't, they turn a blind eye to it, or they're just doing a job and trying to make ends meet themselves. Cause they're just caught up in, this is how I do my, this is how I make my livelihood. Like, I mean, there's, yeah. So how do we, I feel like <laughs> if you have a room full of people with planks in their eyes, does anybody mention the planks or do we just all pretend the planks don't exist? Cause we all have them. Well, <laughs> welcome to the United States Congress. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, what, I mean, I, I actually was thinking like, how do, how do we, how do we simultaneously hear Jesus' words about removing a plank in our own eye? And not being hypocrites. Well, we also are discerning about who's being pigs and swine. Because that feels like that could be looking at the speck instead of looking at the plank. If we're mm-hmm. looking at someone else being like, you're a pig and a swine, you're not doing this, right? That could be, but but yet it seems like we're also supposed to do that. So how do those go together? How do we both discern? How do we discern both? 
Well, a lot of times we don't. We just watch Netflix shows like American Nightmare. <laughs> or or uh, Love is Blind. Or we just, you know, numb ourselves off from the rest of the world. Because it's, it, it's because my answer is it's slow and it's deliberate. It's intentional. It's got to, and it, it, it takes work and energy and. What it it ultimately requires us to do something. Uh I I I think that's so spot on because that requirement to do something when it comes to if we're gonna name something as you're acting like a dog or you're acting like swine, you're just gobbling this up, you're just abusing this beautiful set apart thing, this beautiful holy thing, you're you're just taking all these pearls of wisdom, these good things, and you're just trampling all over it, and you're gonna like you're gonna you're going to end up eating me in the process. If that's how I'm seeing things. The other person might turn around and say, that's how you make me feel. I feel like you do that to me. And I think what all came before it with the judge not or else you're going to be judged. The same measure is going to be given to you that you give out is, is like, okay, if I'm going to call you a swine, I better be ready for you to call me the same and then not to fight back. And then to say, Ooh, interesting. I want to hear more. I didn't think I was acting swinish today. Tell me how I have made you feel that way. Because if I have, then I got a big old plank in my eye that I need to take out. Even though I think I have some pearls of wisdom to offer you, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think we have to just like cyclically practice this. It's not like a line, you know, where it's like, Okay, I had a plank. Now I've removed it. Now I'm a speck puller outer. And now I'm a be careful not to cast pearls before and swine person. I think it's like, a, oh no, somebody else might actually see me as the swine, which is another indication that I got something to work on. Mm-hmm. Like, apparently I'm not coming across. And, and I, I have done this. Oh my gosh. I have tried to remove the planks and then I've tried to remove specks. And then I felt like I was casting things before swine. And then the swine are like, you realize how judgmental and arrogant you sound. And it's like, no, I think I was just communicating honest facts about the universe, but I didn't know I was hurting your feeling. And it's like, I got to like choke on that for a second. Right. And take it in and then try to show up with a different posture and apologize for the one I did show up in because Um, you guys have I shared before when I was a young leader at a church, um, in my days when I used to be a pastor, this was like really early on um, to things. And I was like, oh, I was having an issue with with a volunteer that I was working with. And I was like, oh, Matthew says that I need to like take it up with my, like from the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like, oh, if I'm having an issue, if I'm seeing something, I need to meet one-on-one with that person to call them out on it. And I was, I was coming in feeling like, oh, I'm being such a mature leader right now because I'm, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to do. I'm going to meet privately to call them out on this thing that's going wrong. And I sit down and this volunteer who's older than me, like more mature than me, obviously, as it's about to go down, looks at me and says, I'm so glad that you wanted to meet today because I wanted to talk to you about something and calls me out on all of the ways that I had been hurtful to her. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, this is why it's supposed to be one-on-one because I, oh, oh, <laughs> was very like, it is in my body is like a very humbling, important leadership experience to say like how 
am I willing to see myself as both? And I love that challenge, Jason, of if this isn't a passage where like you have to be willing to receive what you are putting out, have we ever in this passage seen ourselves as the dogs and the swine that are gobbling up what is holy and valuable to somebody else? And can we see it when we are? Can we see when we are not treating with the respect it deserves what is holy and valuable in someone else's eyes? Mm. And can we pull out that plank? Mm -hmm. Because it's much easier to spot in somebody else than in me. I love, I love that you use that language of cyclical. Like what if these, what if Matthew 7, 1 through 6 is pointing on this cyclical ongoing thing of what it is to judge differently? Discern differently? I hate this kind of work, to be <laughs> honest with you. Because like you I mean, I, it is so hard to like it's so hard to like want to be able to name things or to change things or to move things and then feel like every effort you have to do it is somehow it doesn't work it doesn't go through it's being gobbled alive or it gets turned around on you as if you're the problem and it's like ah oh, so this is just going to take longer is kind of mm -hmm. what i end up saying to myself like oh okay this isn't going to change very quickly like i thought we were going to walk the dog together mm -hmm. and by the end of it we would agree on who we're going to vote for mm -hmm. but apparently not and apparently after we walk the dog together it's going to be even more distant for the moment because now I'm the one hurting you. Didn't see that coming. Hey, I I feel I'm feeling rise up in me the desire to talk about deconstruction here because I mean Lisa and I know you've probably had this experience too, Jason, but Lisa Lisa has talked about this inside um working with people who are incarcerated. And I have had this experience working with somebody in recovery where because I now see the scripture in a certain way. I feel like that expansive way is right and good. And I want to evangelize to everybody that good news of how mm -hmm. I see the scripture. Mm -hmm. And I was working with somebody in recovery who saw it very differently, who saw it very closed and very black and white and very before and after story. And my I, a thing rose up in me where I wanted to correct them. I wanted mm -hmm. to change them. I wanted to show them how I was right in my deconstructed, reconstructed, expanded faith. And I thankfully had a pause in that moment. It took me a bit. It wasn't instant. At first, I was trying to change them. And then I was like, wait a second. Who am I to take this thing away from them that is tied to their recovery? That mm. is in there. It has helped them heal. It has helped them find a path. Why do I think that I need to be right in such a way that gobbles up this holy thing to them? Mm. I was about to be a dog. I was about to be a swine because I, in the name of enlightenment, in the name of expansion, in the name of it's, it doesn't, it didn't feel at the time like I was doing something bad. It felt like I was doing something to make the world better. Mm -hmm. And it took me a 
little longer into the conversation than I would like to admit to realize, no, that's not what I'm doing. I want to be right, and I'm gobbling up something important to them that doesn't need to be gobbled up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we hold with humility our own positions on what makes life better or faith more true? Mm-hmm. If it now that's different if it's something causing harm. I do think that's that's where the the solid discernment comes in, right? In this case, it was something that was healing in that person's life. It was not causing harm to themselves or others. That conversation, mm-hmm. I do think, is different if it's something causing harm to themselves or others. Yeah. You know, in when I was studying student development theory when I was working in the university, um, one of the factors for helping someone learn you would have like their input and their output. So you, you had what they came in with and you have this idea of how you want them to leave, like the growth that you want to see, the maturity. And so the, the caveat in the middle is there are the experiences that you can invite them into, right? And so you create these opportunities for them to learn through these different experiences, you know, touch points and mentorship and volunteerism and all these things. But the one factor that you have to always add is readiness. Are they ready to learn? Like, are they ready for this new thing, this new experience, this new understanding, or is this not the time? Are they not ready for it? Like, and that's okay. Like, if they're not ready for it, they're not ready for it. Like, and it's not a judgment. It's, it's just a, this is where we're at in life. This is, it's okay. Like, it's okay to not be ready. Like, that's okay. When you're ready, there's other questions we can ask. When you're ready, there's other experiences we can have. When you're ready, like we can we can try on a different reading and see if that sparks, see if that makes you go, "Oh my gosh, I never knew you could read it that way." Like, but if you're not ready for that, you're not ready for that. Like and 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 all you're going to do is just run into a brick wall if you try to force it or end up hurting someone like you said. Well, it it becomes so personal. Yeah. Like a plank in your eye? <laughs> like a, Yeah, maybe that's another piece of the plank because that's pretty personal. That's pretty close to me. And systems can be personal too. Like let's like, like all the way back to what Lisa said at the very beginning, like the systems of our world, we can talk about them as ambiguously as we want until you're caught up in the worst part of it. And then that system is no longer just a, theoretical way of being human it's a jail cell right and that's that's different so mm-hmm. well you know but it, it is personal one of my notes that i have in my bible from a previous study at some point in time over the last seven years <laughs> is that a plank is like a beam it's been weighted it takes time for it to be built and it's heavy and has like this, um, like it carries a load. So it's like you can feel the density to it. And that one of the other words for spec is chaff, um, which is like not weighty. And I, it makes me wonder about like, like sometimes it's just not ours to navigate. Like somebody else's chaff 
you it's just chaff. You're going to have to let it go. Mm. It's just not always for everyone. And like to actually deal with our own planks, beams in our eyes. Like that's probably the work of a lifetime. Not just simply like, <laughs> you know, like I kind of want it to be just this little small thing. <laughs> like work out. Um, and so it just makes it feel, um, it feels like some of the things that I've discovered doing the work of chaplaincy is that a care for a human means I have to sit with them and listen to them. It's not about me actually doing anything. It's really about me just understanding and hearing them Mm. uh, and encouraging them in their way forward. Not, um, it's really not about picking out specs. Just not, it's not, not ever been helpful. So, yeah, this is an interesting way to kind of, a way to like end the conversation of like, I don't think I've really focused on that as much in this conversation. Like, when I hear this, you know, pearls before swine, I feel like I've heard that so often. But when people talk about it, it just never quite has the weight that I feel like I'm walking away with it today. Mm. There's power, it seems like, in tying these two together, in tying the plank and the speck with the with the pearls and holy and dogs and swine. Like it's like Jesus was pairing them on purpose. <laughs> but it was um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I would agree there's something in 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 the weightiness of this conversation that feels important and timely for 2024. Like, how are we seeing each other? How are we moving towards people with different perspectives? How are we making space for what is holy to someone else? How are we not being the kind of people who gobble something up? How do we, um, how do we hold loosely what we see as valuable, knowing that the other person might not see it as valuable? Um, all of that feels like an important way to move for the sake of community finding itself again in the midst of disagreements um, and tribalism, positioning all the things that seem to be in the works in 2024. Let's take out the planks. This has been a 40 Orchards podcast. At 40 Orchards, our mission is to create circles for all people to wrestle through biblical text so that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. We search through the lens of sacred possibility, assuming there is more to be discovered, questioned, and applied as we listen for how God is still speaking. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40, that's 40orchards.org. Our opening music is by Less FM. Our closing music is by NCR Music Vibes. Additional music is by 3Music. Any references to books or other sources can be found in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for searching the sacred.